All right, we do have a lot to talk about, and I'm going to go back out to some of your comments, et cetera, because this is a, a busy day, and we have uh, just a giant you-know-what show that went down last night. If you were watching, again, uh, help to put that little network on the air in a pretty decent way, I think. But I don't think this is good for the Republican Party. I don't think it's good for Donald Trump. I don't think what happened the other night at Fox was very good for Donald Trump. And I start to say, okay, look, I know you guys don't like him. I know that the establishment is like anybody but Trump. I know that the Republican sort of party overall would prefer the likes of Nikki Haley. I mean, the money was on Ron DeSantis. I could have told him that wasn't going anywhere, but some people needed to figure that out for themselves. Clearly, Ron is not the candidate they thought he was, and now they're like, okay, it's Nikki, it's Nikki, it's Nikki. I've said all along, you know, the problem with Nikki is that you don't really know who Nikki is. She's kind of whatever you need her to be. Well, they like that, right? The establishment likes that. They want candidates who will be whatever they need them to be in any given moment because... Because, well, that's the way the world works, right? And everybody, apparently, I mean, according to the allegations, just ask Hunter and Joe, right? Everybody, apparently, is for sale in some way, shape, or form. Well, a lot of bad stuff came out last night. I don't think it made anybody look good, including Donald Trump, but certainly not Nikki Haley, certainly not Chris Christie, certainly not anybody on that stage. There weren't that many of them, right? DeSantis, like he's kind of an afterthought at this at this point. People are saying, oh, well, he won. He won. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I, I think that it was a little easier for him because people were not gunning for him. I mean, you think about Megyn Kelly's question to DeSantis, which was effectively like, why are you still in this, buddy? She was really nice. She was very, very nice. I mean, very nice. But she was not so nice with Christy. We're going to play that for you. It was an important and obvious question to ask. And actually, every single one of them on the stage should ask that. Let me ask the GOP right now. Why are we going through all this charade? It's very, very clear. You look at poll after poll after poll after poll. People want Trump. So unless you got an alternative, guys, at some point you're going to have to just make a decision. You either want Biden or you want Trump. And if you want to win, you're going to have to go with the candidate who's topping the Republican ticket right now. I mean, I hate to be just such a realist here. Anyway, this was not good. It started off with Vivek. Um, I've known Vivek not, not extremely well. I mean, just enough to have heard him speak and had him, I've had him on the show a few times and I've been certainly impressed by his intellect. Uh, what I would say about him is he needs to calm down. He needs to have a little bit more of a sense of humor and be a little bit more self-deprecating and maybe eventually he'll get there. But um, he asked uh, Nikki Haley something and you could just see, like you could see it in her face. I want to show you this clip because he's talking to her about geography in Eastern Ukraine and Here's the reality. And he asked if she can name an eastern province in Ukraine. I don't think anybody could here. Like maybe I, I do have one very, very, very sort of um, very smart child who has, I think, at this point, memorized the entire globe. And, and maybe she could. But other than that, like I don't think anybody, unless you're from Ukraine or from that region, is going to be able to name a region all that said, maybe they should, right? Maybe that should be, maybe we should expect more from our leaders, but you can just see the look on her face. I want to cut to the clip. Here is Vivek totally attacking Nikki Haley. He attacked her in more ways than one, but on this particular geography question, listen in. Foreign policy experience is not the same as foreign policy wisdom. I want everybody at home to know that I was the first person to say we need a reasonable peace deal in Ukraine. 
Now a lot of the neocons are quietly coming along to that position, with the exceptions of Nikki Haley and Joe Biden, who still support this, what I believe is pointless war in Ukraine. And I think those with foreign policy experience, one thing that Joe Biden and Nikki Haley have in common is that neither of them could even state for you three provinces in eastern Ukraine that they want to send our troops to actually fight for. Look at that. This is what I want people to understand. These people have, I mean, she has no idea what the hell the names of those provinces are, but she wants to send our sons and daughters and our troops and our military equipment to go fight it. So reject this myth that they've been selling you, that somebody had a cup of coffee stint at the U.N. and then makes eight million bucks after, has real foreign policy experience. It takes an outsider to see this through. Look at the blank expression. She doesn't know the names of the provinces that she wants to actually fight for. And there's a puppet masters right there, the donors, the donors right there that are playing like the puppet masters. Okay, so, um, wow, did you see the look on her face? Here's the problem with that. And, you know, look, I, I've had years of television experience. So, unfortunately, sometimes that's what politics gets reduced to, right? I mean, years of experience, yet uh, <laughs> not on the tech front, clearly. And by the way, this technology is so new. It's so new. It's amazing, right? Like, I, I can't even believe I, I get a wonderful, amazing, amazing, amazing producer in Florida. And we're, like, figuring out how to bootstrap this. I feel like Elon Musk with, like, satellites in space here trying to do this anyway. So um, I, I say this only because, yes, I've been in TV a long time, not on the tech side, though. And from the production side, you look at her face. You saw her face. She is, like, mortified, right? And she doesn't know how to deal with that. So the answer is, you know what? Have some presence, lady. Stand up tall. Look them right in the eye. Give them some attitude. Instead, like, you feel bad for her. She's like, I'm Nikki, come on. Be a little stronger. You're running for president of the United States, for goodness sakes. She had another opportunity later, and he went after her, and they said, do you want to respond? She's like, no, I'm not going to bother. She didn't want to stoop to his level. Okay, fine. Well, you know, why are you even there? Like, why is anybody there? It gets me back to the central question. If I'm Nikki Haley and I know Vivek and I know where he's going and he's already slammed me with insults, why would I even go on that stage? Fair question, right? Like, rise above it. I said from the beginning, like, Trump was smart not to engage in it because it's all petty stuff. He's clearly at the top of the ticket unless somebody's able to do something we don't know about. He's there, okay? So why would you just attack yourselves? Aren't we all supposed to be on the same team? Apparently not. Like, there's, there's multiple teams here. There's certainly two different teams. There's a Trump team. And then there's the team of the establishment, the team of the sort of, you know, the so-called rhinos or the, you know, the Murdoch, Fox News. Look, I was there. We're going to get into that because they really, they really did not want Trump, certainly not in 2020. And I can promise you they don't want him in 2024. So I'm not sure how they're going to handle all that. But if you look at some of the things that they're doing, you might start to scratch your head. Let's get over to Chris Christie right now because Chris Christie he was out there swinging. He went after Trump. And then he went after Vivek and uh, had an insult or two for Vivek Ramaswamy. Let's listen. 
Okay? You Tell say this. You, you do this. You do this at every debate. You go out on the stump and you say something. All of us see it on video. We confront you on the debate stage. You say you didn't say it, and then you back away. And I want to say exactly what, no, what I said, Chris. I'm not I'm done yet. Well, this now is, look. This is, and this is not a steal. This is not a steal nonsense. This is the fourth debate. The fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So shut up for a while. Okay. There you go. I mean, so that's what you call fireworks. Have we gotten those ratings in yet? I, I don't even know as they are rated at that particular network just yet because they're small and they're just starting out. But that was actually pretty funny. I mean, it was wild. I had friends. I did not, by the way, in fairness. I watched it all after the fact. I was tired. I'm like, okay, it's late. I've had enough politics for one day, but my phone was blowing up. People were like, this is crazy. This is bizarre. So then I went back. I had to watch it. And um, there, there's one there's one soundbite in particular that, that some people were sending my way, which I, I got a real kick out of because Christie's attacking Vivek and Vivek comes back and you're not supposed to do this. Nowadays, right? Like this kind of thing that you would get disciplinary action for at Harvard University. Seriously. I mean, I mean you, can, you can go to those pro-Palestine, pro-Hamas rallies all you want, but you can't fat shame. You can't, fat phobia, they say, is a real thing. <laughs> Vivek, who went to Harvard, he went for the jugular on Christie. Let's listen. Well, Chris Christie also doesn't know what provinces in eastern Ukraine he actually wants to fight for. Chris, your version of foreign policy experience was closing a bridge from New Jersey to New York. Yeah. So do everybody a favor. Just walk yourself off that stage, enjoy a nice meal, yeah. and get the hell out of this yeah, place. Let, let me <laughs> okay. Go walk off that stage and enjoy a nice meal. Ouch, ouch, ouch. All right, Vivek, bring in the fireworks and probably the ratings to things. I mean, you know, News Nation ought to send me a big box of chocolates and some flowers. <laughs> but I get back to the central question. What are we doing here? Like, why are they up there? What is the point? I mean, I'm all for having interesting discussions about policy, and we should, right? Because then we're more informed people. But at the same time, we've got to actually think about our own self-preservation. And I say that as a conservative, right? We want a conservative in the White House because I fundamentally feel that that is better for our economy. It is better for taxes. It is better for individuals, for corporations, and for America. So if we can all agree on that, what's going on? Why are we having these attack fests? Megyn Kelly, to her credit, you know what? She asked the question, the question that needed to be asked of Mr. Chris Christie. Take it away. Let's watch Megyn. He said that you got into this race just to stop President Trump. His approval rating with Republicans is currently at 81 percent. Yours is at 25. Your best state is New Hampshire. And even there, two thirds of GOP voters say they would be angry and disappointed if you won. Respectfully, Governor, you have not stopped, Mr. Trump. And voters may wonder how you could possibly become the nominee of a party that does not appear to like you very much. Well, look, Megan, it's often very difficult to be the only person on the stage who's telling the truth and the only person who is taking on what needs to be taken on. I I look at my watch now. We're 17 minutes into this debate, 
and except for your little speech in the beginning, we've had these three acting as if the race is between the four of us. The fifth guy, who doesn't have the guts to show up and stand here, he's the one who, as you just put it, is way ahead in the polls. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he is. I think she just single-handedly destroyed his career, by the way, with that one. He is ahead in the polls. And so, Chris Christie, you might want to think about what's actually next, right? Like, logically speaking, you're either going to work to get a Democrat elected or you're going to work to get a Republican elected. And given that the polling is at 81%, I don't really see, you know, like, could, could we chart this out? Could, could we do some math on this one? I don't see a path to victory at the top of the Republican ticket for anybody other than Donald Trump. So at what point does the Republican Party, unless they want to start another party, and by the way, like, you can do that. You know what? You can totally do that. And I can comprehend that a heck of a lot better than I can comprehend the idea that we're just going to bash each other. You want to have another party and do your own thing? You guys go for it. But right now, if you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense, which gets me back to this idea of what's really going on. Do do they actually want Biden to win? Does the RNC just really not care? Is the money that's going into this about something else? There was a noted Democrat recently, very, very wealthy, billionaire Democrat, who came out in support of some of these other candidates. Not Vivek. (laughs) Um, and, And not Trump. And the reason he was doing that and pouring money into their campaigns is because he wants this challenge. He wants somebody other than Trump. But as much as they've been pouring money into these other players, like no one's getting to first base. So what's really happening? Are are they actually choosing sides and trying to ensure that a Democrat wins? You got a situation in which the most dominant player in the conservative media realm, which is Fox News, doesn't like the candidate that is most likely, barring any unforeseen circumstances, going to be top of the ticket in 2024. Now, why wouldn't Fox News like Donald Trump? Might have something to do with most of these candidates are very manageable, right? The smart money puts their money on one horse and they're like, you know, he or maybe she makes it all the way to the White House and then does what we want or expect them to do. And that's not the case, obviously, with Donald Trump. He's sort of just doing whatever he wants to do or whatever he thinks is right for better or for worse, it's actually one of the most interesting things about him, but also lands him in a ton of trouble. He's got very, very good instincts in the here and now. He responded well, if you ask me, on a lot of international policy matters, certainly responded well on taxes, things like that. But you know what? If you're somebody with a lot of money and that lives in a place like New York or California, where a lot of these people with a whole lot of money actually live, You probably didn't like Donald Trump very much. You know why? Your taxes went up. Everybody says, oh, you know, Trump actually lowered taxes, lowered taxes for 
the wealthiest Americans. But the reality is, no, if you lived in New York or California or any other state with high income taxes, you could no longer deduct those, which meant your tax bill just went through the roof. That's why so many people left and went to Florida, of course. I mean, hey, if you're in Florida or Texas, yes, you got a tax break. But that was kind of like how it should be, right? Like Texas shouldn't have to sort of float all these other states. I mean, how is that fair to New Hampshire? In, in New York, you get to write it off, your state income tax. Well, he ended that. So there were a lot of policies that I think made a lot of people very, very mad, and they couldn't sort of put him in a box and say, stay there and do what we want. And so if you're the Murdochs and you've always had the ability, certainly with the conservative candidates, to do that, now you're kind of like, wait a second, what are we getting? And we don't want to get that again. I mean, they didn't want him in 2020. I remember working there and there would always be this debate. Are we going to take the Trump rally or are we going to not take the Trump rally? And I'm like, well, you know, he's running for president. He's got a rally. People tend to like to see it. It's news. Like, why wouldn't you take the rally, right? I remember one time, this was nuts. We were told we were going to take the rally. So we're like, oh, okay, we don't really have a show. You know, we'll just go on and do this, that, and the other. Turns out, two minutes before air, they said, you can't take the rally. So at that point, you know, I'm on air. I don't have time to, like, ask, or why can't we take the rally? Like, the edicts come down from on high. You cannot take the Trump rally. Hmm, all right. So we just improvised right on the spot. It's like, okay, go get that element, that element, that element. Like literally constructing the show in the commercial. It was actually a ton of fun. It might have been one of the most fun shows I ever did because it wasn't scripted. Other than these. I mean, these are clearly a lot of fun because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the camera could just completely go off. The audio could go off. You never know, right? I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Anyway, love seeing all you guys here. we got the live chat up. Thank you for your patience. You really just are, are wonderful. If you guys have not subscribed yet, do me that favor. Make sure that you subscribe to the show. It's actually very, very important. You get the alarms that go off when I'm here. <laughs> and usually I'm here when they go off. And so make sure you subscribe and you hit the bell. Fox News doesn't want Trump to win. So one has to kind of look at everything they're doing and say what's really going on. They held this big town hall the other night with Donald Trump. I mean, they're, they're still looking for ratings. Handy has a good relationship with Trump. He brings him on for this so-called town hall. But I got to say, like, what was this question about? I think, I think, you know, let, let's give Handy the benefit of the doubt because he really does seem to like Donald Trump. Let's assume that he was trying to do him some favors. He asked this question, though, about whether or not Trump was a dictator, which is like straight out of the talking points of the left. It's crazy. And so, like, he kept going back to this. And I'm like, why do you go back to that? Like, maybe you want him to be able to say no, but I think Trump was a little surprised, too. Let's take a look at that clip and we'll analyze. We almost have to go to a break. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be... I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, no, no. 
other than day one. We're closing the border and we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not addicted. Well, that, right. that, uh, that sounds to me like you're going back to the policies when you were president. So, in other words, I think he's sort of making the point that, yeah, I'd be a dictator for a day, right? I'd do it for a day. And I'd make sure the border got fixed. I'd make sure we got the uh, drilling situation all up and running. Hey, um, look, it's, uh, and, and you know what? I'm getting the stern feedback again. It tells me that we probably need to mute our feed, right? That's the idea, I think. Um, but we'll just tell our, our team in Florida, if you can mute this, that would be a really good thing. Right? Let's see. Can that be done? I'm going to mute you guys. Voila. Well, this is interesting. This is very interesting today. (laughs) Anyway, so the border. He wants to shut down the border. He wants to drill. And that would make him a dictator. I mean, he's sort of joking around. I think he threatened to put Hannity in jail for a day. Well, somebody didn't like this. This question about would you be a dictator that Fox News put forward, this rubs somebody the wrong way. And I think he's got a really, really good point on this. Bannon is a smart guy. Look, by the way, former Goldman Sachs, like me, he had a bigger job there than I did, but um, smart guy, kind of saw the China thing coming before anyone I realize there's a lot of people that do not like him at all, and he's got certainly a, a ton of detractors, but he understands politics, and I think his response was pretty darn fascinating. I want to share this clip with you. So this is Steve Bannon reacting to Hannity asking that dictator question, which we're all like, mm, you know, because it's the left's talking points. Here, Bannon. This is truly Steve, a TV for stupid people. Sean Hannity actually thought he was helping Trump last night. Let me ask you a question. Will you be a dictator? Trump gives a full heckle. And here's what I love. The audience gets it. They're laughing. By the way, Sean, they're laughing at you. They're laughing at the stupid, ridiculous question. Of course, Trump's not a dictator. It's absurd on the face of even to consider, even to ask that question that Morning Joe and those guys can cut the clips on shows you're an idiot. And we don't have time for idiots, bro. This is a this is a war. okay? this is a war. We don't have time. All right. So then he goes on and on and on. And he is angry. Suffice it to say that Sean asked that question and he doesn't think it was a bright question to ask because you're kind of giving them more ammunition. Right. And this is what they're going to do. I played you all the clips. You saw the Atlantic magazine. They are going to hit this over and over and over again. They're saying, oh, he's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to lock up his enemies. He's going to use the legal system against his enemies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Last I checked, the legal system is being used against him in a pretty darn powerful way. I mean, this insane case in New York where somehow Letitia James, the AG, gets to decide the value of Mar-a-Lago as opposed to the bank that's giving him the loan and looking at that as collateral. I mean, when did we suddenly have the state interfering like that? Oh, wow. You know, that's what happens in socialist and communist countries. Let's be very clear. Right? That is like Venezuela style. And they're okay with that. They're going to keep doing whatever they need to do to win. The difference is they're not like upfront about it. The difference is Joe Biden's never going to look at a reporter straight to their face and say, you're fake news. No, no, they're going to go around. They're going to go and arrest the guy who tweets out a meme that he thinks is funny and throw him in jail 
for seven months where he's been waiting to have his case tried. They finally just decided the second court of appeals just the other day this week to allow David McKay out on bail, but he's still being tried for this. I mean, come on. They're going to say, you know what? We're going to shut you down because we don't like your viewpoint. And that's pretty darn scary. So when you tater and dictatorships, I would just suggest everybody take a really close look at what's actually happening in the here and now. So there's a lot at stake right now, a lot at stake in this particular political season. One of the big questions has become just exactly who will be the vice presidential pick of Donald Trump's. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, I want to get back to the markets. I want to get back to gold prices. And I want to talk about the stock price there at Fox News. So we're looking at gold still upwards of $2,000 an ounce. A reminder that our friends over at LegacyPMInvestments.com are our great sponsors. $2,046 an ounce is the level there today. If you're interested in buying gold or silver, 24 bucks on silver right now, down about four-tenths of a percent today. You can give them a ring at one 866 Oil trading a little bit higher at nearly $70. You're going to market that closed higher right across the board. Dow, S&P, NASDAQ all higher right now. Ten-year yield has been coming down, but it did creep up just a little bit over 4% today. I do want to take a look at the stock price on Fox shares, uh, BE shares, because that's sort of what is the public float. The family owns a lot of the A. And you're looking at Fox shares kind of end in the day, basically flat. I mean, they're at 27 bucks, it seems. When I look at them, say, over the course of the year, they are off highs that they saw earlier in the year, perhaps back in March of this year. So it's not necessarily a great picture. You look at what they're doing over a five-year cycle, and they're down, actually, quite a bit. I mean, they were up over 40 bucks a share. Now you're looking at $27 a share at Fox. Fox is in trouble. Fox is in trouble in part because the medium of media is changing so drastically. A quick reminder, guys, please make sure if you haven't subscribed, subscribe, hit the bell, do all those good things. Weigh in with comments below. You know, I I read them, so I love hearing from you, but it's important. This is a changing media landscape. And if you've been watching this live stream from the beginning, you know how new it is, (laughs) the new frontier, shall we say. And there are hiccups along the way, but there's also a ton of authenticity. And so the challenge for some of these television networks is that they don't have that authenticity. For example, if I were doing this at Fox, and by the way, I should point out that the the little studio I'm in, I had once intended to be able to use, you know, on an occasional holiday or Friday night when I used to be at that network. And I put this in with that intention and had no idea how to use it (laughs) until I had to, right? Like until I actually wanted to be able to talk with you guys live. So I got a teleprompter and all that stuff. I don't use it. I do actually know how to use it, but I don't use it. And I don't use it because why would I? It's just one more thing in the way, frankly, of you and me and having this conversation. So Fox is in trouble, certainly from the standpoint that the medium is changing. I mean, Tucker had the biggest show there, right? And now Tucker's on Twitter and he's reaching a huge audience, a bigger audience than he was reaching every night. It's different, right? It's it's very different. And there's some rawness that is just, you know, part of the deal. But I think that 
it's better in the sense that it's not scripted. It's not overly whiz-bang. It's not a lot of distraction. It's not heavily produced. And there's some value in that in and of itself. Plus, of course, you know, we get to, to speak directly in a very, very cool kind of format. I, I think it's going to change even more because we're going to have the opportunity at some point, you know, to actually be talking where I can, I see your comments. So it's, it's great to, to see you all, but like, how neat would it be if actually Michael Donald, you're there. And what if you actually popped in, right? You could actually pop into the conversation. We could have more of a thing like that. I mean, that, that day will be coming and it's not that far off when I look at the technology and how quickly it's changing. And one of the reasons we're dealing with some of these challenges here today in the here and now is because we're trying to adapt some of these technological changes we're doing that, right, in real time, and you guys are part of it. Fox, on the other hand, like every media company, is kind of stuck in the year, I don't know, 2005? What do you think? It's very different. I mean, it used to be that you could only go to one of the big three networks. My dream when I first got into this business was to be a network correspondent. That sounded really, you know, spiffy. And so I became a network correspondent. Not so spiffy. <laughs> Not so spiffy. I'm like the one that they called a hurricane coming into Timbuktu and they wake you up at 4 a.m. and you have a bag right near your bed and you take off and you're gone for six weeks on the road covering some hurricane or some other big story. So I, I've been there, done that. Not so spiffy in that, again, you want to talk contrived. You want to talk about news that's very formulaic. We used to call it a minute 30. They give you a minute 30, right, to do a story, 90 seconds. So you'd spend all day shooting something. I remember being on the ground in New Orleans, right, following Katrina and horrible stories. And you got to somehow sandwich it all into 90 seconds, 90 seconds on tape. They'd edit it. Maybe you'd be lucky to get nine or 10 seconds live on the back end. God help you if it won 11 seconds. So that kind of, you know, that kind of sort of, it was very contrived. And that kind of feeling, I think, is what turns people off. So network news, that's done. And I was like, hey, I got to cable. Like, wait, I get more than nine seconds? This is pretty good, right? You just had commercials you had to deal with. So cable felt very, very liberating. But now I look at cable and I think about how they used to have me. I literally had to send in my scripts, my commentaries every single night. And the higher ups had to edit it and send it back. And I couldn't go on air with this stuff until like they had approved it. One night I was really annoying because like one of the middle managers was like in there messing with the script five minutes before. Air. I'm like, really? And then like the script that everybody flipped out about. In March 2020, by the way, I stand by that, right? Was that not politicized? Uh-huh. The script that everybody flipped out about, <laughs> they looked at that one too. They okayed it. No problem. Until, you know, the media had a problem. Anyway, I digress. The point being, Fox News is in trouble because the media industry is changing so rapidly. So rapidly. Subscribe, subscribe, hit the bell. But not just because of that. Fox has 2.7 billion reasons to be very worried about their longevity at this moment in time. And that would be because they're being sued by Smartmatic for $2.7 billion. Because, well, you know the drill, right? They, they settled for $787 million, nearly a billion dollars with Dominion. Weird thing to settle, right? Because if you actually 
are standing by this defense of the First Amendment and your reporters are just doing their job, which I think a lot of them were. I think a lot of them believed what was coming in and they were trying to analyze it in real time. And sometimes getting to the truth in real time can be a little bit ugly. So they believed that they were doing the right thing, or some of them did, but not all of them, right? And you had management, apparently, that didn't always think that this was the right thing. And so, yeah, I'll tell you, you know, the company had a leg to stand on. It did, because you don't, as a journalist, go out there and malign a company knowingly just for the sake of ratings. I mean, that's just sort of fundamentally wrong. And they took that company effectively down in the process, not just Dominion, but also Smartmatic. So Smartmatic's coming after them. $2.7 billion is the lawsuit. That's what they're asking for. I would think that they're going to have to settle this one, too. And I think Smartmatic's like, hey, you, you did nearly a billion on that one. We want more. Like, you know, they have the benefit of going second in that particular case. So Fox is really in a tremendously difficult place for that reason. And and I feel bad for them on that front only because, again, as a journalist, one wants to have full ability to explore a lot of different theories in real time. And when people like the former president and his team around him are making allegations like that, you should be able to report on it. So I'm disappointed in Fox for settling that Dominion one. It really sets a bad precedent, frankly, for every other journalist. And I don't know how they're going to talk their way out of the $2.7 billion lawsuit with Smartmatic after they just settled the first one with Dominion. So they got all this pressure, right? They got all this pressure on them. And as a result, probably really definitely don't want Trump winning in 2024. (laughs) They really don't. Anyway, turning to another story. There's another person they don't want to see in the White House. Melania Trump apparently has a first choice pick for her husband's vice president. This is very interesting to me. Drum roll, please, right? Like if we have a drum roll, I don't know if we have a drum roll. I may be pushing it here. But if we have a drum roll, this is the time for it, right? Melania Trump wants someone very specific, according to Politico. Do you guys read Politico? Uh, Forgive me. Axios. What am I saying? Getting my political sites confused. No offense to either of you guys. Anyway, here here you go. This is interesting. It's Tucker. Melania Trump is apparently an advocate. I can see this, by the way. I can totally, totally, totally see this. An advocate for picking Tucker Carlson. Because she thinks, and I'm quoting here from Axios, that Carlson would make a powerful onstage extension of her husband. This is according to a source that's close to Trump and spoke to Axios. The former first lady has made few campaign appearances this time around, but a Trump-Carlson ticket might encourage her to hit the trail. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I can kind of see it. I've cautioned before only because, you know what, I come from the television world and I know what it's like to have two big egos on one set. (laughs) You know, like those co-hosted shows, they look like they're getting along, but not always, not always. And then I thought about it some more. First of all, Tucker's very smart. I know not everybody agrees with him on everything. And, you know, some people get a little annoyed by the laugh or whatever. But I can tell you this. He's a smart guy and he's thinking about things in different ways. And I think that's helpful. I think the other thing that's really helpful is like Trump, he understands the media. 
and he understands where they're going to go and how to basically get ahead of them in the process while doing so. So I think that would be a tremendous advantage for the Trump ticket. It's a question of, is, is Trump really okay with like all the oxygen getting sucked out of the room? I mean, the two of them together, right? I think he actually might be. I think Melania would know that better than anyone, right? And she just perhaps wants him to win and wants him to be surrounded by smart people. Say whatever you want about Tucker. And you know what? He and I have not agreed on everything. I'll be very open about that. I mean, sometimes we'd have our shows. I, I, I had the unfortunate <laughs> time slot of being on the redheaded stepchild network over on Fox Business at 8 o'clock opposite the, the big kahuna network with, with Tucker there. Um, he was always very gracious. And I've uh, met him a few times over my career. And I used to go on his show prior to me having the eight o'clock and I would just come away with this, like regardless of what you think about him, regardless of maybe sometimes he and I differed on various viewpoints. I give him a ton of credit for being very smart and being very plugged in. And I think this is what Melania is recognizing. Now, would he do it? Would he? Well, that came up actually on another show hosted by Roseanne Barr, I've played this for you before, but let's take another look because you know what? He doesn't, he doesn't say no. Um, first of all, on the crazy train there, how do you feel about Trump saying he would consider you for vice oh, president? Oh, gosh, I don't <laughs> I put that in the category of asteroids striking the earth, <laughs> good or bad. Uh, it's so far out the side, outside of my control that I, you know, would I mean, you? I'm flattered. Yeah, it is flattering, isn't it? For sure. But I mean, it's hard to, you know, I've never been in politics. I've never... Would you ever do it? Would I accept? Yeah, if I guess you really I have to think you. about that. Um, I mean, I spent my whole life looking at politicians and commenting on them and passing judgment on them, and I've never run for, you know, room mother. And so the idea of that is so far from anything I've ever done. It's kind of hard even to imagine. What do you think? I certainly yeah, support. But you Trump. know what? Take... Again, he did not say no. So. Would he do it? Is this just PR? Is it PR for both of them? It could be. But interesting that allegedly, reportedly, according to Axios, if you believe their sources, apparently Melania might be okay with it. Again, perhaps she's recognizing that her husband's going to need some really sharp elbows, but not just sharp elbows, some, some stuff going on, you know, from here to here. This was always my challenge. When Trump was first running, I remember back in 2015, 2016, and the day after he came down the escalator, I was like, are there any smart people that are surrounding him? He was kind of running the whole show. And eventually he did collect some really good people, including my former co-host, Larry Kudlow, who was there uh, in the in the Oval Office planning a lot of the economic policy, his economic advisor, Steve Moore, really, really, really smart people. And it's one of the reasons why he had such good economic policy. But these were things that he intuitively got, right? He understood a lot of these things. And I think made sure that even if he didn't do the, the research, right, like he wasn't reading the deep state files, but he went out of his way to understand these issues in a way that was very instinctive. And so the complaint from deep state would be, well, he didn't read the files. He didn't, you know, we had all this briefing information. He wasn't really interested because he kind of just simplified things. He simplified things. And the more he simplified it, it kind of drove everybody all around the world kind of crazy. So deep straight, deep state, Fox News, even, even Kim Jong-un, you know, the other day he was doing a rally. I told you Fox doesn't like him, right? He was doing this rally. 
and he got into the Kim Jong-un stuff and they cut away almost instantaneously because apparently he had said something about the election earlier on, I guess. They cut away and went to Ron DeSantis, their favorite guy. Let's take a look at that one. You had no trouble with North Korea, did you? No trouble whatsoever. Started a little bit rough, right? Rocket man, little rocket man. (laughs) He said, we've got a red button on my desk, he said. I said, I have a red button also, but mine's bigger, better, and it works. Mine works. (laughs) And then, no. Well, the former president finally got around to some campaign promises amid lots of cheering, as you heard. Many untruths. The 2020 election was not rigged. It was not stolen. But still, Trump is way ahead in the polls. And now to the man desperately trying to catch him. Let's listen to Governor Ron DeSantis. The man that we desperately, desperately, desperately would love to have win, right? Ron DeSantis. Anyway, or, or Nikki Haley. I think they'll, they'll take anybody but Trump or Vivek. Vivek has somehow landed himself. But, you know, these guys, they have their own money. Think about that. What does that mean when you have your own money? It means you don't have to be beholden to all those billionaires. I kind of like that. I think like all politicians ought to kind of have their own center not be beholden to this big money because the big money is the one that is calling all the shots. I mean, you think about what's happening right now, look at Ukraine. And I consider this, by the way, I mean, it's so sad what's happening there, but I consider it a total failure of diplomacy because it shouldn't be happening. We shouldn't be in a war there. Maybe there's some bigger plan by deep state to distract Putin with this. And they hope that they can, I don't know as that's working. I think it's actually just costing us a lot of money and it's costing a lot of lives overseas. And to me, the solution should always be a form of diplomacy. And part of one of your tools in diplomacy is using things like tariffs. I mean, I just would have tariffed the heck out of Russia before I got myself into what, well, it's not us technically, I guess, you know, we found a team of people that were willing to go to battle, so to speak, there. And now we're just pouring money into it. And they want a ton of money. Well, Republicans are like, eh, no, because you know what? Their constituents aren't too fond of this. Even if big business, even if the big companies that make money off of this are fond of it, that, you know, the constituents don't like this idea. Let's go to Chris Coons here, a politician on CNBC, just the other day, you know, pushing for, for all this money that they want. I just want you to hear these numbers because I'll tell you this, they are staggering. Really we are staggering. going to move forward, I believe, on President Biden's request for more than $13 billion to help secure our border, $60 billion for Ukraine and their security, which includes tens of billions of dollars of investment in American manufacturing to make the munitions that Ukraine needs. Okay, there you go. So we need a whole lot more money for Ukraine than we need for our own border, but it's all okay, because guess what? It's going to go back to American companies who are making these weapons that they're going to (sighs) use. Where's Tulsi Gabbard when we need her, right? Isn't this her entire thesis? She's like, it is one big industry. Like somehow it's supposed to soften the blow that it's going to all come back to American corporations. So you taxpayers, you just you just lay out that money much more than you'd ever lay out to secure the border. But it's okay. It's all okay because guess what? It's going to come back somehow, some way in the end. Meanwhile, you look at a 
country that really needs us, uh, our historic ally, Israel, and because of political reasons, right? Joe's too worried about what the extremists on the left are going to say when he tries to defend Israel, who needs and deserves defending, too worried about what it's going to mean at the voting booths. Meanwhile, this one, this uh, Shalata, Shalata, she, she said at the OMB, opposite of the management of the budget there. She went on to CNN the other day. She cannot understand why nobody's like way out in front of this whole Ukraine thing, why people are even questioning that we want to spend this kind of taxpayer money. Listen to her. We're always willing to have a conversation, Um, but I believe Congress has been talking about this long enough, and I'm happy uh, that the question was called. Unfortunately, uh, people who know the stakes who are supporters of Ukraine, who are supporters of Israel, uh, decided to put politics ahead of our uh, national security interests. And frankly, I'm, I, I remain stunned by that. Okay, she's stunned. Stunned. How could this be? How could this be? Remember, everyone, make sure that you subscribe. If you haven't, do me that favor. Subscribe. Leave a comment below. Join our chat. I'm going to get out to some of your comments momentarily. But these these people are like, well, we should just keep spending money. I'm sorry. What are we? $34 trillion, last I checked, in our level of debt. I mean, this is not sustainable, folks. It is not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. And yet they keep coming back for more. It's like no one can do math. They're talking about this equitable math. Have you guys heard of equitable math? It's like the DEI-friendly version of math. Everybody just, you know, it can feel good about themselves. And if you happen to be a minority, they assume, they assume that you're not going to be good at math. So therefore, they just want to put you in the AP classes anyway and give you a rah-rah, and it's a whole new kind of math. So don't worry about it anyway. My theory is they want a whole new kind of math so that nobody can actually figure out how much debt we have. Like nobody can add, nobody can subtract, nobody can multiply. Therefore, nobody knows what $34 trillion and counting really means or the interest rate associated with it. The dumbing down of America. Every minute of the day when you start putting things like someone's sex, someone's race, someone's hair color, pink, purple, or whatever, ahead of whether or not they can do a job, then you got problems. You got problems, America, and this is what is going on. This is what is going on in college campuses all across America, those college campuses right now that have gotten incredibly disgusting in their rhetoric, extremely anti-Semitic because somehow they see, they see, they see Israel as an oppressor and everything is about the colonies Everything is about colonization, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, a, this is a weird time. And this DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, has taken off in such a way that it no longer matters how good you are at anything. It just matters if you kind of check all those boxes. Well, I want to share with you something that a guy named Bill Ackman, very prominent billionaire, just had to all this. He's, he's saying something that people are considering extremely controversial because, well, let me, let me tell you what he had to say first. Let me tell you what he was responding to before we get to Bill Ackman's response. 
Claudine Gay, the president at Harvard University, along with a couple other presidents of various Ivy League institutions, they were up on Capitol Hill the other day, and wow, they got grilled by Elise Stefanik. It was great. Representative out of New York. Take a listen. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Harvard, correct. Our commitment to it's free speech... It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech It's a yes extends. or no question. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? Intifada, correct. I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus. Yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? Correct. I will say again, that type of hateful speech. Okay, she's just awful. She's just awful, and I don't want to torture you by listening to more of it, but she just keeps going back to her talking points over and over again. She's trying to somehow defend this, defend this, this poor kid who got, by the way, she's defending the guy that intimidated the Jewish student who's walking across campus and gets just accosted by this group of kids. It was all caught on tape. One of those kids happened to be on Law Review, which used to be a prestigious thing. Now all these law firms are like, we we don't want these kids. We don't want any Harvard kids. Understandably so. So Bill Ackman, who's one of their biggest donors, (laughs) so billionaire, went to Harvard and donated a lot of money to the school and clearly isn't right now. And he's been like pushing and asking for some kind of response. He wrote a very heartful letter, Claudine Gay. She ignored it, just completely ignored it. Unbelievable. And then, you know, after this little episode there on Capitol Hill, he wrote this. I learned from someone with first-person knowledge of the at-Harvard president, this is on Twitter, search that the committee would not consider a candidate who did not meet the DEI offices criteria. Diversity, equity, inclusion. The same was likely true for other elite universities doing searches at the same time, creating an even more limited universe of DEI eligible presidential candidates, shrinking the pool of candidates based on required race, gender and or sexual orientation criteria is not the right approach. She writes, to identifying the best leaders for our most prestigious universities. Duh. Like you're narrowing your pool. If you're saying, okay, we only want black women, black women only need apply. Well, there's only so many black women. So are you going to get the best president for your school? What happened to our meritocracy? He goes on, and it is not good for those awarded the office of president who find themselves in a role that they would likely not have obtained were it not for a fat finger on the scale. I have been called brave for my tweets over the last few weeks. He is. He is very brave, let me tell you. 
I, I sent him a note just yesterday actually saying that, and uh, he was very gracious. He said the same could be said for those who called out Joseph McCarthy during the Red Scare. I don't think it will be long before we look back on the last few years of free speech suppression and the repeated career-ending accusations of racism for those who questioned the DEI movement. Thank you, Bill. We are all shortly going to realize that the DEI era is the McCarthy era part two. History rhymes, but it does not repeat. Well said. Well said. We've got to get away from this junk. We've got to go back to who we are. What we've been and what we will be is all dependent on making sure, yes, that we have equal chances at achieving things. Equal opportunity is critical. But you know what? It's not guaranteed. Not in the United States of America. You come here, you work hard, you're bright, you got some intellect, you got some EQ, as they say, emotional intelligence, and you know what? You're off to the races. But don't expect any handouts. Americans have worked too hard to give away anything. We'll help those who can help themselves. And yes, there's a portion of society that will always need something. We're not heartless. We're tremendously giving and altruistic in many ways. But the reality is this. You got to deserve the job. You got to deserve the paycheck. You got to deserve that award. There's no more trophies for everyone. And we shouldn't be handing out Things like being president of a university just because you check a bunch of boxes. Let me tell you, it's not good for her and it's not good for women and it's not good for minorities either. Because if somebody's in that job and can't do it, then everybody's, oh, you know, DEI candidate. Now, I don't know that that was true. This is Bill Ackman saying he has a source saying that she only got that job because These were the options. There were not a whole lot of criteria. I mean, you look around right now, the woman at Columbia, right? She's um, of the Middle East originally. I believe she was born in Egypt. She's at a Columbia University. You got a woman over at University of Pennsylvania. I mean, I thought it was great. Oh, great. They got a woman. Like, I'll always champion that. Hey, you know, great, a woman. But let's just champion it for the right reasons, because she was the most qualified, not because she checked a box. Claudine Gay at Harvard, Bill Ackman, is alleging she just checked some boxes. She didn't deserve the job. And now she can't stand up against the bullying and the anti-Semitism and the horror that Harvard is so willing to allow. Think about that, really. All right, I just want to go out to some of you guys because you have been just wonderful here. And I appreciate all of your willingness to uh, stay with me, especially through some of these tech things. It's great to see you all. It really is. So thank you again for being here. Mike, good to see you. Don, as always, thank you so much. Dan, thank you. Agree. I, 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 you know what? We're on the same page. I have a feeling a lot of us are on the same page. We're not always going to be on the same page because you know what? I'm very, I'm very upfront and, and forthcoming and hopefully you like what I say. But even if you don't, I'm still going to just tell you the way I see it. Right. I think we need to be able to do that in this day and age. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to go and listen to the podcast on Apple. 
and I'll see you right back here tomorrow.